Hi everybody, hope you're all well. My name is Josh. I'm part of the leadership team at Redeemer King Church. I was recently in my loft in my garage trying to find some space for some more of the stuff that we just seem to uh, acquire. Um, and whilst I was up there, I found a cardboard box. Now, the cardboard box has been there since we moved into the house. I don't know who packed the cardboard box and I don't know what's inside the cardboard box. But what I do know is that whatever is inside the cardboard box must be very special because we've moved it from house to house to house about three or four different times. And that cardboard box always gets put in a very special place, hidden away in the loft somewhere. Um, no one ever opens it. It's just safe away. It says fragile on the side of it, so it must be very important. And I'm sure most of us have got a, a cardboard box like that that we just cart around with us um, and hide it away somewhere and just forget about it until the next time we move, move house. Uh, and then we say, what's inside the cardboard box? No one knows, we'll just hide it away. And I think the passage that we're going to look at today reminds me a little bit of that sometimes. Now, last week was Easter and it was so good uh, to meet on Zoom on Good Friday together. Uh, and it was so good to remember that Jesus not only died, but he came back to life. And it, he didn't just come back to life for a few hours, he's still alive. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at one passage that talks about the resurrection. And I don't know about anyone else, but I can sometimes fall into the trap of carrying the resurrection around like, like that cardboard box. From town to town, never unpacking it. I know it must be important because I've been carrying it around for so long. But I forget sometimes to just open it and have a look inside and see what, see what it's all about. And this passage helps us to do that. It shows us that the, the resurrection gives it shows us what the resurrection gives us. If you believe that Jesus actually came back to life and is still alive, then this is what it means. So we're going to be looking uh, through 1 Peter uh, 1, 3 through to 9. So I'm going to read that now and then we'll, we'll dig into it. So it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even through refined by even though refined by fire may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls. Like I said a minute ago, we're going to be um, looking into this passage over the next few weeks. 
I'm just trying to pull out of that box some of the things uh, that the resurrection gives us uh, and what we can actually get from the resurrection. And today I want to look at joy and the joy that we can live with in our lives. Um, now, just as a bit of background uh, and something to keep in the back of your head as we go through this, Peter who wrote this is the same Peter who followed Jesus around. He was one of his closest friends. He walked on water for a few seconds before sinking. He loved Jesus that much that he chopped some guy's ear off when they tried to arrest Jesus. And he was the same person that abandoned his mate. When Jesus um, had been arrested, Peter is the guy who said three times that I have no idea who this man is. Uh, don't associate me with him. Peter more than likely was at the crucifixion. He probably watched Jesus get killed. And he knew from first-hand experience what punishment, what persecution, uh, how you got treated if you followed Jesus. And that's probably why he denied him three times, because he didn't want to get mocked or, or get his head smashed in. And to be honest, I don't know if I can really blame him, but he's talking to a bunch of people in this passage who were, who were living in exile, who were facing this same threat of getting their heads smashed in, uh, of getting the mick taken out of them, of, of even getting killed for just saying that they follow Jesus. And yet he says to them that they can live with this inexpressible joy. If I'm honest, I don't think you'd blame these people if they thought that Peter was a bit mental. You know, I'd be like, mate, live with joy. I'm about to get my head kicked in. There's nothing joyous about that. That would probably be my uh, first thought. But if we roll back a bit in this passage, Peter tells us why we should be joyful. What the reason for joy is, even if you are about to get your head kicked in. And Peter says in, in verses 3 to 5, he says, In his great mercy he has given us, given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead <clears throat> and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. <coughs> now, it basically says that because of the resurrection, because Jesus came back from the dead, the same, the same will happen for us. And we get promised an inheritance that no one uh, can take away from us. And I was thinking the other day, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he have just stayed alive forever without actually dying. And you see, everything dies. A bit morbid, I know, but one day I'll die, uh, and I'm sorry to uh, break the news to you, but one day you're going to die. One day everything on earth, even the earth itself, will eventually die. And death has this major grip on everything. Everything will eventually run its course. But Jesus dying and then coming back from the dead means that 
he didn't just avoid death. He, he didn't dodge it like some kind of game of eternal dodgeball. But he died and then beat death. He showed us that death doesn't actually have the final say. He's bigger than death. And he promises the same thing. And I love this quote by the great philosopher Robbie Williams. I'm not, fra I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to. And because of that resurrection, we have this hope that there is so much more than this life. And we don't need to be afraid of death. And I was thinking recently what the difference between joy and happiness um, is. And, uh, and does joy actually only come from God? Uh, and the two do often get used inexchangeably. Um, inexchangeably? Interchange interchangeably. Um, but joy is an inner feeling that you have regardless of external things going on around you. But happiness is that feeling that we get because of a situation or a circumstance that we find ourselves in. But I think we can only get true joy through something that can't be taken away. I think regardless of um, how we envisage it looking, deep down everyone wants to be happy. Uh, and more than that, everybody wants to have that deeper feeling of happiness that we call joy. But if we find our joy in something that can be taken away, then it's not a lasting joy. Uh, and a few years ago, I spent the early hours of a, of a morning in a hospital room with a, a very close friend who tried to kill himself. And a few months later, I met up with him and he seemed loads better. Uh, and I just, you know, I asked him like, you know, how are you doing, mate? Um, uh, and he said, mate, I'm, I'm loads better. He just uh, witnessed the birth of his first, his first kid. Um, and he said, you know, the, the, my, my child has given me a hope. He said, this, this, it's given me a hope, something worth living for. Um, he said, I've got this joy that I've never felt before. And I knew exactly what he meant because I know that feeling of, of having a child or watching your first child be born. Uh, and it is a joyous uh, moment. And, and, you know, you do live for your kids uh, and you can't explain it unless, unless you've been through it. Uh, but they, they do just change your life completely. And there's this happiness there. But as he was telling me this, I couldn't help but feeling a bit sad because he was pinning all this hope of happiness and joy on his son. And, and it's horrible to say, but a child can be taken away from us. Um, they can grow up and, and not want anything to do with us. Or they can be a person that we don't want them to be. And that source of hope and joy that we found in, in our child is not cemented, it's, it's potentially only fleeting. It can be taken away from us. And I think what Peter is telling us here is that we have a source of hope and joy that no one or, or nothing, not even death, has a grip on, a death that has a grip on everything, not even death has a, has a grip on this. This is a joy that it can't, 
It can't be taken away from you. And I can't find or think of anything else that can do that. Memories will fade and die. Loved ones will, will die. You know, wealth will eventually be worthless. Our looks will eventually fade. Um, friends will come and go. Even the world eventually will be gone. So, knowing this, having this source of joy, Peter says that we can be joyful even when we're going through hard times. We can have joy that through pain and suffering is still there. Now, one thing I don't think he's saying is that we should live like there's nothing wrong um, or walk around with a fake smile on our faces because that is all it would be, fake. A mask hiding what's actually going on underneath. And we should expect hard times. Life is tough. And in fact, the Bible says expect to go through tough times. We can live life um, and things are going good. Everything seems nice and rosy. And then all of a sudden, uh, life starts to throw things at us. Uh, and we're surprised. We're like, what's, what's going on? Why, why are these things happening to me? Can't I just go back to that happy, nice, rosy part of my life that I had before? But the Bible says, are you kidding me, mate? I've, been, I've told you over and over, expect to go through tough times. Expect to go through trials. If, any, if anyone ever tells you that being a Christian is easy or that life will be sweet if you decide to follow Jesus, well, don't ask them if you look good with that new haircut. Because that boy is lying to you. Just look at the Bible and find someone in there who tries to live for the Lord and everything goes smoothly for them. You won't find it. You know, the Bible's full of stories of um, people having going through tough times. Let's just, I'm just going to turn a few pages in Peter, a couple of pages over. So 1 Peter 5, 8 says this. Um, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So it's saying all the believers are going through tough times. So don't, you know, we can't, we can't um, be shocked or surprised when we go through tough times. And so, like I said, we, we can't be surprised when we're going through tough times um, and don't be surprised if people take the mick yeah, don't be surprised if things in your life cause you pain in fact maybe we should should be surprised if if they don't uh, and that's hard because 
We all want an easy life. No one wants to seek out hard times. We all want a nice middle of the road life. But if we're walking in the middle of the road, perhaps the road is too wide. In Matthew, it talks about walking the narrow road that leads to life. Now, a narrow road in its nature is narrow. You can't, uh, you can only just fit on it. There's, there's no right side of the road. There's no left side of the road. There's no middle of the road. There's only the road. You know, I think sometimes we can be tempted for the easy life where we try and get Jesus to fit into our culture so we don't offend anyone or we don't have to um, confront any difficult situations. We try and get Jesus to look like us instead of us looking like him. And I don't think, I don't think people will have a problem with us going to church on a Sunday and studying the Bible in our small groups. They might take the mick a bit, but um, but it's when we actually start living it, when we start living in the way that Jesus teaches us, that they will start to have a problem with us, where we might get a few trials coming our way. Now, back in the old days, before roadblocks existed, if you don't know what roadblocks is, by the way, congratulations, uh, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Simon would say, pat your head, and you'd pat your head. The game wouldn't work that well if I said, Simon Says, touch your nose, and you said, I'm not touching my nose, but I'm thinking about it. Uh, I'm, I'm studying it, and I'm thinking about doing that. That's what I'm thinking about doing. I've studied it, I know how to touch my nose, but I'm not going to touch my nose. Is that enough? And to be honest, I wouldn't want to play Simon Says with you. It's not, it's not right. It's not how you play the game. If Simon says touch your nose, you touch your nose. So Peter uh, then goes on to say in verses 6 to 9, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And I think Peter's helping teachers how to respond to unjust suffering with inexpressible joy. And I've got to be honest that joy is not the first response that I think of when facing suffering. Responding to suffering with joy seems ridiculous. But, but joy in the middle of suffering is a constant theme in the Bible. And I don't think that Peter is encouraging us to rejoice in suffering itself. I mean, that would be crazy. But I think getting through times of suffering strengthens our faith. And I think that's what he's trying to tell us. I think he's trying to say that we can, we can face suffering with joy. Because 
of the thought of our inheritance that we that were promised through the hope and the resurrection. In life, we go through loads of tests. It's a part of life. At, at school, we suffer through numerous lessons, some worse than others. And at the end, we're tested. We get through we get through that suffering of all those lessons by clinging on to the knowledge that once the tests are over, once we've finished our GCSEs, our A-levels, um, then depending on how well we do in those tests, there'll be something better for us. A job maybe, or, or maybe even more suffering of, of more lessons at college or uni. But the one thing that gets us through those lessons is knowing that one day we will have finished we'll, we'll finish school and we won't need to do it anymore it'll be over and the tests at the end show us practically what we've learned and it's kind of the same here i think peter is saying during these times of suffering cling to cling on to that promise that of that inheritance be joyful about that and go into any suffering armed with that knowledge. And Peter knows that uh, Peter knows that suffering causes grief. It it's it's distressing. It's not a nice thing to go through. He says, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all sorts of trials. He doesn't deny that suffering causes distress and him telling us to have an inexpressible joy doesn't deny the reality of suffering but our joy comes from something that that can't be taken away from us not even death can take it away from us so even though we go through suffering the suffering can't take that joy away as long as long as we cling to it Nowhere does the Bible say that Christians can't grieve or be sad. In fact, it actually teaches us how to grieve and how to express sadness with hope. There are Psalms that teach us how to express grief honestly, while still clinging to that hope in God. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that in our search for joy and happiness, don't forget to grieve. Be sad, be honest with how you're feeling, but never let go of that hope that we have and that source of joy that we get through the resurrection. Everyone grieves, everyone goes through tough times. Christians or not, everyone grieves. And the only way for anyone to get through tough times is to cling on to something that gives us hope. My mate found something that he could cling on to to get him through a hope. The only difference between a Christian hope is that it can't be taken away because Jesus defeated the one thing that steals everything. The one thing that steals any other source of hope, Jesus defeated it. So the hope that we cling on to is forever, it's eternal. And this passage is very similar to a message in James where, um, I'll just read it to you actually. In James 1 it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, 
Whenever you fa face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds very similar to what Peter's saying. And they both talk about trials and linking trials and tough times in our lives to, to the testing of our faith. And they both say that these tests strengthen our faith. James says that it creates a steadfastness. And Peter says it shows a genuineness of our faith. So the saying, all this stuff that's going on, is only going to strengthen your faith. It's going to create a perseverance in you. It's going to make you stronger. And I think they're both saying these trials aren't wasted. They're not even a coincidence. This is something that, that God wants us to use. He wants to use these things in our lives to make us stronger. The, the word testing in this passage in James is interesting because it's a term that silversmiths would use for testing silver. And the way that they would do it is they, they'd, buy, they'd get all the metal, they'd put all the metal into this pot and they'd heat it up over a fire. And they'd get it to a certain temperature that was hot enough to melt the metal. Uh, and all the impurities, all the badness from the metal would rise to the top. And then the silversmith would scrape all that off. And then he'd go through the process again, heat up the metal until all the impurities were out of the metal. And the way that he would test and make sure that he'd got the metal perfect, he'd got the silver how he wanted it, would, buy, would be by looking into the pot. And if he could see his reflection in the, in the metal, if he could see his reflection in the silver, he knew that it was clean. And I love this picture because Peter and James both say that these tough times are tests. And I just love this idea of God testing us. And every time we go through um, a trial, we're being tested over and over. And just like the silversmith, you know, one day God could look down and see his own reflection. Like we're becoming more and more like him. We're becoming more mature and complete. And that's God's goal for us. He wants us to be more like him. He wants us to be a reflection of him. He wants to use the trials in our lives so we persevere through them and rid ourselves of all those impurities. Just like Jesus suffered, we become more like him. I'm just going to finish by reading this passage again, uh, but I'm going to read it from the message version. What a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus, because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life 
healed and whole. I know how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure, genuine faith. Put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all, all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. You never saw him, yet you love him. You still don't see him, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to, total salvation.